Hey guys, hope you all enjoyed the interview. The second part is about to get started in case you guys forgot where we left off. Uh, I was talking with Cayman about the point shaving scandal and the players behind the point shaving scandal. And I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. I know I had a great time. So let's get right into part two. So yeah, obviously these players, Rick Kuhn, out of the three players, Jim Sweeney, the star point guard, Ernie Cobb, the team's leading scorer, Rick Kuhn, the big uh, man down in the middle, really solidifying the middle for Boston College that season in that 78-79 season. He gets sentenced with 10 years, serves two and a half, mm-hmm. and his story is the biggest component that I walked away, you know, you're like, damn, I really wish I'd, I heard from him. And was that probably the most difficult part of the project? Like what were some of the most hurdle, what were some of the biggest hurdles that you were jumping through trying to get this going really for the most part? Like get number this all one, up? finding the people, right? So finding Rick, Rick was in hiding. I found him and literally showed up at his house <laughs> and it, you know, someday hopefully he'll tell this story, but you know, I, <laughs> And I, I, and I think he probably would have pulled me off, but I think he saw how warm I was, you know, as a, as a person. And he invited me in with, with Joe. Joe was with me. Everybody was scared to death of, of it. It was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any fear of anything. I, I, I just send people notes. And um, look, I always say, if, you, if you're sincere and you're authentic in, your, in what you want, People will, especially people who have, are savvy to the world, like a Rick or somebody who's committed crimes in the past that, you know, they, they've been around everybody. So they can, they can smell a rat. And um, if you're authentic, they, people, people see that and they, and they'll, and that'll, that'll connect. So I think the hardest part is, is that, and then also when you don't know what the outcome's going to be, you know, when you reunite people who betrayed each other or, you know, uh, so those types of things that made me wary. Um, but in the end, it was a lot easier. I think in anything in this life, the hardest thing is taking that first step and making that commitment. Once you Definitely. do, for me, once I do, it's, there are always challenges and everything, but it's taking that first step that ends up, you know, after that it's gravy and, but reaching out to the folks. And if, if we're not going to be deep like that, like reaching out to the folks is always the hardest in the end. Just get them no, yeah, definitely. And, and get them, go find that mobster. I mean, that I, sounds crazy. I know, but <laughs> I was able to do it. There you go. I, mean, I was tell def- my my husband who went to Penn State as well. You'll find him on the on the walls of the communication building. Um, well, they're actually reconstructing an entire new building. The so, the Beta what's his name Belisario. Yeah. Yeah. So so they're building yeah. a whole new a whole new facility, and hopefully we can 
get in there by the fall. So we'll see. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, my husband's on the wall in the communications and he'll probably be in the Belisario too. He's on the board um, of oh, he's the, one of the Hollywood big, program. He's one of yeah. the big ups. No, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I always tease him like, what did you do at Penn State that gets you on a wall, right? Like, that's <laughs> exactly. amazing. Um, so yeah, like uh, when I reached out to Henry, he goes, well, when do you want me to interview? I'm like, tomorrow would be fine, right? And I was seven months pregnant. God. And my husband's like, which Goodfellas is still his favorite movie, but he was like, you're not bringing Henry Hill to my house to be interviewed. Like, <laughs> I already booked it, so he's coming over. And uh, anyway, it took a little bit of convincing, but he did it and then they became pals. And then, you know, I couldn't even pull Henry away to get him interviewed for my husband because they were having <laughs> wine on the, on the thing. And, you know, and he always called Terry Boss. That was his name. And um, <laughs> so they had a special rapport. And uh, I got to interview Henry a few times and Henry's um, manager and close friend and um, partner in crime, Lisa, she was amazing too. And actually, if it, I don't think if it, <laughs> it wasn't for her, I don't know if we would have got everything done because she really made the introductions to folks that would have been the scariest one, ones to get connect to. For example, like mm -hmm. the Ed McDonald, um, the prosecutor. And Ed and I are tight now, you know, like I can call Ed. <laughs> um, Ed is amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, it... it I feel very blessed. Like the, when you do true life stories, what people need to understand is like you get to connect to history in ways that other people will never get to. So no matter how successful I am or not successful to me, this is the, my greatest success is that I have all of these stories and I know all of these wonderful people and I can personally account for things in a way that other people could never and understand them in a way other people can't. So that's my greatest gift anyway. But Yeah. I mean, when you're doing these type of movies, it's always interesting to see how people feel like after, cause they're like, Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Cause for me as an 18 year old growing up now is you never know what someone's going through, especially now with, um, you know, like social injustices and everything like that, like history in school isn't necessarily the true history or the whole history that we need to learn. It isn't the history. History is completely whitewashed. Um, it, it, yeah. it, it's, it's interesting, right? That, I mean, that's what my podcast too is about. It's called White Speak because it's, it's educating people on what's really going on and what's happened. And it's fact-based, you know, but it's, yeah, yeah it's I mean, it's, it's really tough and it's tough conversations, but it's okay to say, for me, it's okay to say, I will respectfully disagree with your point. I'm not necessarily saying this is not an issue or something, but for me, I watched uh, 13th on Netflix a few years ago when it first came out, I think it was like 2016 or something like that. And, you know, it really opened my eyes to the point where it's like, yes, our prison system needs reform like we can't we're wiping out these it's, communities it's, it's so bigger than that so much it's, bigger than that it's, but it's yeah. just a, yeah it's a small issue and 
you know, it's I, a huge issue, but it it's 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 deeper than that. Unfortunately, it's it the prison system's the tool. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's as heartbreaking as it is. It just goes back to what we were saying that you know, it's a multi-perspective issue. You can't necessarily look at like we said, like life is not black and white. Like you can't look at someone and say, oh they did this so they deserve the right punishment or they got the right punishment. So, I mean, this white speak podcast, you mentioned it earlier, like how has that helped? Has that gotten, uh, uh, how I phrase this? Has that gotten you through quarantine a little bit? Because I feel like it's a project that is uh, calming to the mind a little bit because it feels like you're doing something that's much more lasting than just, uh, doing a job or something like that. How has this process been of just building this podcast up and, you know, some of the memorable guests that you've had? I noticed you had Joe Ward, who was a former NHL player. Um, I'm a big hockey fan. Um, and that was a great episode to listen to. I mean, how is, what has this process been like to build this podcast in a way that, you know, in a time where, you know, everyone's trying to be woke and, try and virtue signal but what is you're actually putting these thoughts out into concrete um, platforms and concrete listeners well I mean my audience is majority white people white women even seems like women are the only ones who want to really make change men talk about it when women are actually actively trying to learn as and more and I didn't realize that at first, it, it took a minute for me to recognize that. And that's something that I'm saying this out into the world so that men re recognize that they got to do better because white men in general are the, oppressor, uh, are the oppressors of, this, of what we live in today. Um, and, we, and men need to step up and fix that from a female perspective of, of women um, and gender and as well as people of color. The system was built this way. It's not. It's an, and it's working exactly the way it's supposed to. But racism's the tool they use to keep the power. So it's not about keeping the brown man down. It's not about keeping women down. It's about keeping power. Right. So we, we become tools. Um, those are facts, undisputed, just spun by the same bad actors that have been doing it for a long time. Um, so doing this for me is frustrating. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done because I have a black husband. I have two biracial children. I live in a time that people say that they care and nobody's doing anything. But I do have hope because I see a movement I see mobilization underground. I'm seeing organization. I'm starting to see this is unlike what we've seen since the 60s. And for those who hear anything that I'm saying and say, oh, I disagree, then you don't know your history and you don't know the facts. And that's why I'm doing the show. So that I don't, it, there's things that are opinions. There are everybody's perspectives. There's everybody's lives. There's everybody's you know, uh, things happen, but in the end, how our system was built, how we have been lied to all these years and how, when you learn these truths, it's where you start to, you start to recognize. So the anger that I get 
by doing the show, it becomes frustrating um, because the more I learn and the, le- the, the more angry I get, and it's not conspiracy. That's the thing. I, I, I wish it was because I would just quit if it was. <laughs> but so it's on my shoulders to, as a white person who I'm also an oppressor because I'm white. So we have to look at ourselves because we're actually the issues. Uh, we're the issue. And so that, so trying to, because I can't convince people of anything like that. It's that they have to themselves need to understand that you're not, you're likely wrong in whatever you're thinking if you're disagreeing with what I'm saying. And so if you actually care, you will learn and you will try to learn. And that's what we're, that's what we're there to do is to explain why things are the way they, they are. And for me though, going through quarantine, I couldn't, um, I just couldn't sit back. Um, I'm an activist by nature. I think just, I have this overdeveloped sense of justice. Um, and in the stories that I do, it's funny, I do criminal stories, but I also do um, like mob crime. And I also do these um, civil rights type stories and um, inspirational. inspirational. So, and, but it's all connected to the same type of stuff. It's this, these injustices and, and that truth matters, right? So even in the crime stories that I do, I want the truth. I don't care if it's, you know, that you think that it may not be, you know, like you just need the truth out there and whatever that means. So everybody does have their own truths, but you can always see the core of what the truth really is by all of these perspectives. And so I'm fascinated by that. And again, nothing's black and white. So I've been getting through doing this and I have access to a lot of folks. Like yesterday, um, I interviewed OJ McDuffie, who's a former dolphin. He was there for a long time. Um, Amazing. Um, He had an incident that happened with his wife and son. Recently, um, he's a family friend and he went to Penn State. So you should know who OJ McDuffie is because he was a high. And then, you know, I think Jonna Carter was number two draft pick and um right (laughs) yeah and then there and then carrie um yeah like same year people i think oj though was i don't know if he was the same year as them but anyway but um but yeah um but they're all my husband's friends as well so that's how Mm. how these things come about but i'm very immersed in the sports world um and so i might actually do an off uh, like an um an offshoot of white speak into sports and race in sports. Yeah. I mean, you see these, I mean, you see these incidents come out all the time, especially I've noticed, you know, in Boston, Boston is notorious. The Red Sox even came out and accepted that, you know, our fans are, have done terrible things. And, you know, I've seen Boston. um, I think a few players, Adam Jones, I think, mentioned New York Yankees. I could be mistaken about that. I believe I have heard some reports about the Yankees fans have done some similar things over the years. Um, you know, and a it's lot a of fans issue. have. They're not the only ones. Just like yeah, Joel yeah. Said, I don't. Right? I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to. Exactly. Like I don't want to single out a single city or fan base, whatever. You know, it's we get so caught up in 
our team isn't winning a championship or winning even a game that we're willing to do these things. And that's bad. Eagles. Kidding me. Like (laughs) Eagle fans are crazy. Don't even get me. Y'all are crazy. Like you and Raiders fans, (laughs) craziest bunch. My whole family's um, uh, Eagles fans. So when you talk about like a Carson Wentz and stuff like that, you make me laugh because I'm like, you should have kept Nick Foles. What were you thinking? Okay. And, And all, and all of my family are like, you know, we already paid him or whatever. I don't know. Like, if you want to win, I don't give a damn if you already paid him. You keep Nick Foles. You keep what's what, what you got to keep what's working. You know, you got to keep Carson would have been fine going somewhere else. Trade so him. I have argued multiple Christmas Eves over this with my family. I've, I've countless debates about this with my family. Nick and, Foles. Who was your, who was your, who was, yeah. Who's your pick out of the two? Carson Wentz. Carson? Okay, so you defend. Do you think you're right now? It has nothing right now? to do with the hat being turned okay. back. At this, at this moment, no. At this moment, right. I'm wrong. No, you, you're wrong. Not, you, were, you were never right. See, that's the thing is that wait till you get to about 35 and you'll <laughs> say you'll be where I was and you'll be like, no, you need Nick Foles. There's, it's not about the specific talent. It's not, it's not about that. It's about this. And Nick was that. Carson got them though in the position, right? Yes, exactly. The, but it's who's there now and how they Carson, take Carson, hey, I will. And I then will he saved you all twice and you still got rid of him. Like, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. You'll see when you're 35. We're gonna have another conversation, and you'll be like, "I know what you're saying you. now." I'm gonna I'm call gonna... you in 17 years and be like, "Ah, listen." Yeah, there are things that you can't put time, money, or anything on. It's not. They're just things. Like just like it's it's the same thing in the in the basketball game. The momentum shifts. Mm-hmm. It's that idea that when that shifts. You're going to take those guys off the floor in the heat of the moment? No. Unfortunately, in hockey, they have to because they get so tired, right? And they yeah. do the shift change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But my argument, my, I will give Carson the credit and all the blame because Absolutely. I love Carson's him. amazing. It has yeah. nothing to do with him no, personally. Like, I, I think he's awesome. I just don't think that Nick Foles would do what he does if they teams get a whole offseason and they know that he's going to be the starting quarterback. I don't see him replicating that success because he was on such a high level of just absolutely ripping long bombs. And I don't, I think he would have gotten either injured. It's the same thing with Carson. I think he would have either gotten injured or he wouldn't have necessarily played that well the entire season to get us back there. Now, what is this all pointless and just meant for fun debating? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like we'll never know. That and that's why yeah, I'm shaking we'll, my head. We'll, we'll never, never know. know. But here's the thing is all I know is who brought them the championship. Carson, right. you guys You're would right. not have you would not have won that year with Carson. Uh, nope. Uh, not gonna happen. Okay. 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 Well, if you, I mean, you could break it down, but, but it was a different type of year. You won because it was Nick Foles. Nick Foles was the spirit. He was the spirit. I could definitely sense a shift in the, the team's attitude and that's, and really the city where it was like, okay, Nick Foles is our guy. He's He's the only guy they never booed. 
That is true. Yeah. He's I the mean, only man who has never booed on the field. Only one. It's never happened in Philly history. <laughs> I'm making that statement right now because I'm assuming that's true because they boo everything. <laughs> they even added I mean, booze. We do. When no one's in the fan, fa- they put in booze because they know booze are the hey, way. Keep it Philadelphia somehow. Oh my god! We gotta gosh, pump that, in some booze. That city just never likes its own players. I always feel so bad for the players. If you if you're going to the Eagles, man, be ready to be yelled at and screamed at, well, and unappreciated. It, hey, I like to think of Philadelphia as like we're like the military. We'll break you down, but we're going to build you back up. We're going to build you back up if you're playing well. If you're playing well. Only if you're playing well. If you're playing well. That's what I'm so, saying. <laughs> so when a child is not doing well. Okay, we're going to. So you right, beat children. them? Same no, thing? I'm not saying that. It's all about the spirit. The spirit is what carries teams. It's what carries them to the. You don't hear of everybody fighting and everyone and then everyone winning at the same time. You can't. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Team is team. Golf, sure. If um, that's what it takes to get somebody to perform on their own and you beat them, fine. You know, but like literally, like you're not good enough, whatever. That can drive people. Um, some people it works for. But I don't know. I think this, your spirit of takes, takes teams. Like you look at teams that had major things happen to the city. And then they, they have the, the win of that next game on their back. They need to win this for the city. They do it yeah. every time because mm-hmm. the city's there. So if, yeah. if Eagles could learn that, because that when Nick Foles came in and they gave that spirit, no booing, look what happened. You're right. I mean. Eagles are a very wounded fan base. Yes. And I got brought into the golden years. You did. Unfortunately. Like they've been through so much. So I fully understand Eagles fans. I do. But, but you got to take another approach. I mean, is our approach probably too harsh? Yes, probably. We, I'm sure knowing the city of probably. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Cause all the other people are watching like, Oh my gosh, this is so sad. Like we feel, we, we feel bad for Eagles. You know, nobody hates the Eagles except Dallas and maybe Green Bay, right? Like their their own, but nobody hates nobody hates the Eagles. Eagles oh. hate lots of people, but they nobody <laughs> hates the Eagles because we feel bad for them. <laughs> hey, I don't know. If we were a different fan base, then maybe maybe we don't win that Super Bowl. I don't you know. You had Andy Reid, who couldn't manage. He couldn't oh, right. time manage. Okay. Okay. All right. He couldn't time manage. Uh-huh. But he couldn't. Who won the Super Bowl last year? Who won the Super Bowl with the Eagles? Doug Peterson. How many times did he take you to the you get you guys were like number one for going to the playoffs than any other team? Who took you there? Wasn't anybody Hold else on. but Andy. What was what was that lead that he blew to the Indianapolis Colts and what was oh, the Oh, That's card one game? scenario that you don't know really what was going on behind. That's one scenario. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Again, you guys look at very short-sightedly at things, and that is the problem with that team. Sorry. I study them like crazy thinking, God, why are they so like that? Anyway, I watch my my in-laws, and I always giggle. I'm like, y'all aren't going to – look, you love Carson. Now you're going to hate him in a little bit. Don't worry. You should have kept – And they – now they'll – 
I don't know if anyone's agreed with that now still, but I will always they, love Carson. I he's amazing. Love- he would have been better at a different team though. As I smile. <laughs> yeah. You're taking, you're loving. There you and, are and loving. Carson, Carson should have gone somewhere else and he would have been a Super Bowl champion there. Like oh, they both, it's, it's all about job fit. It's about fit. Carson's oh, yeah, definitely. He wouldn't 100%. get hurt as much if he was somewhere else, too. Oh, y'all's fault. Just kidding. I'm totally um, messing with you. I know uh, I can yeah. tell your poor little um, self there over there. I'm like, oh, I'm terrorizing him right now. I'm sorry. I'm just hey, being playful. I, I'm actually being playful, but it's oh, not God. coming across because I'm stabbing him with the <laughs> an eagle's sword. I mean, I've... I've argued with enough of my family to say, listen, it's still a football game at the end of the day. And the fact that we have a Super Bowl and I got to witness it, pretty good. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, and, and you got to remember that. And I just try and tell myself, listen, the like, same thing with the NBA, the GOAT debates, all that stuff. All these debates, it's just for fun. You know, no one's at the end of the day, is that really gonna hinder me from getting a job or something? No, it's just a fun debate and a fun conversation to have, which is the fun part of sports. You get to talk shit with your friends. Right. <laughs> and, and and you can make different arguments. It's like what's important to me um versus what's important to you on what a greatest of all time might be, right? You just don't Everybody has a different view. And the truth is, is the person who's the incumbent, i.e. the LeBron James, has the advantage because he's not done yet. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's the advantage because he's not done socially either. He's not done activist-wise, right? Exactly. Um, but Michael Jordan, he was the – I think they, that you shouldn't be allowed to have the greatest of all time. I think that it's all – you can have it in decades and mm-hmm. that's it. Because yeah. they are the greatest of all time for their time because time's changed. Exactly. Even like a guy like Kareem gets overlooked. And, you know, a lot of people say oh, that was just the time period that he was playing in, which he can't help. He can't help the, the day that he was born. Like, He's you know, the LeBron James from back then. Exactly. And like, he was the one who was fighting with Ali. And also, yeah. LeBron, LeBron was never in a movie with Bruce Lee, so he can suck it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. That's the fun argument, right? It's like, but if Bruce Lee were alive, Bruce Lee would want to be in a movie with LeBron. That's the difference. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I, that's how I would counter, right? Like, I'd be like, <laughs> exactly. yeah, no, LeBron wouldn't want to be one, in one with him, but and Bruce would want to be in his. And then another fun one is always the Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris, who wins that fight. And then that's a whole it's other Bruce Lee that'll win it. But, but Chuck Norris. I agree is with you. I, I agree I, with I you. I obsessed on Chuck Norris when I was younger. Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal, Bruce Lee, um, any martial arts movie. I do martial arts. So that's my, you know. Oh, so you know. remind me not to get on your bad side, is what you're saying. You wouldn't want to, but that's okay. You know, it's, uh, you know, I actually don't use my fists or, or my elbows or anything, um, except in competition or in class and martial So if, you're, if, if your husband is just messing with you and he goes over the line, you just tumble roll him, just shoulder roll him. 
Yeah, I, I, th- I think about it, <laughs> but I never actually do it. Yeah. See, you're like, okay, if he, if he takes a step, I'm just going to take his arm yeah. down on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just take I'll it. Take so you're down. like the, the female Joe Rogan, pretty much. Like, we're just going to have you start calling UFC matches. And oh, then that'd just- be funny. I'd be like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not a big UFC fan because I don't like all the blood. Like we're yeah. caged when we fight. So it never gets ruthless like that. Mm-hmm. The energy yeah. gets ruthless, but the, there's no blood. It's not, you know, it's not the same. Yeah. I mean, I watching Bruce Lee, I watched a couple of Bruce Lee movies um, over the summer and even the 30 for 30, which I thought was amazing. The B water 30 for 30 was awesome. I mean, that guy was just a different talent and just a different level of charisma that, you know, you can't very few people have in this world. Mm-hmm. And Oh yeah. No, he's amazing. He, he going to his grave was one of my top 10 bucket list things. Uh, he, he meant that much to me. So and means that I, much. I have a dog tag with B water on it. That's awesome. I, yeah, I mean, that guy is just very few people could convey so much emotion with just body language. And that's what he did. And it was awesome. He's just amazing form. Me as an everything. Eight, yeah, me as an 18 year old, I was like, why wasn't I growing up on this earlier? I was like, I would have been obsessed with this stuff. So it was always. I wish that martial arts would come back. I hope it does. I hope, you know, Karate Kid was our thing. Well, Cobra Kai now on yeah, Netflix. Cobra Kai is back, right? Exactly. Like, so, have you seen any of the uh, QuickBooks um, um, commercials? I don't that think so. That has no. the Cobra Kai guy on it. No, I haven't. But that's yeah. Funny. That's my martial arts studio. They shoot it in my my. That's awesome. Master Nagiyama is actually in the commercial. Um, that's awesome. That. Yeah. So, um, but the but the old Cobra Kai, um, in the um in the original karate kid was the same studio um as where my ma- master nagiyama was so it's really that awesome. whole thing is connected to to my people <laughs> that is awesome i mean i it's just awesome seeing like these people while they're still alive like come back and do their own thing like you have the guy who played Danny LaRusso, you have um, the guy who played Johnny, you know, you have all these guys. I mean, have you ever thought about that, taking on that type of project where, I mean, you kind of did it a little bit with playing for the mob, obviously, where you have these big reunions, but have you done, have you considered or even really gotten going like a project like that where it's more, I guess, pop culture and more straight away from sports? I have a Manson project. Ooh. Yep. So everything you think you know about that isn't true is, as well. Um, yep, I've got a, 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 a finite story within the Watergate story. Um, I've got, um, my dream though, is to do a, a Goonies type of film. Oh. Um, that's one of my bucket list items. Um, I've got a major drug story of the pioneer of the drug cocaine business. Um, I've got lots of stuff. <laughs> and yeah, next the level. The archives are full. Full. I have a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, and I'm, I've got enough to keep me busy till I retire. 
So Definitely. a lot of people bring me, try to bring projects and I, I just don't, I just don't have the, the bandwidth or the time as the creative. Now as producer, um, you know, our company can, can, can do things. But for me as my, what I do, I, I, my bandwidth is just full. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you have, for those who may not know, you have this uh, media company called Steel Titan. Um, how did you, how did you know that like, okay, I want to go from New Brunswick, Canada, which you were born, born in. How did you say like, I want to go to LA and start a media company? Like, how did that come up? Um, it, it was a long journey. It was um, New Brunswick to Miami, Miami to Nashville, Nashville to New Brunswick, New Brunswick back to Nashville, Nashville to LA. So a lot of pit stops, a lot of pit stops. And I was in theater my entire life. Uh, I, but what I did for, I went to school, went to business school. Um, and then I helped build three medical startup companies and from there, I decided, oh, I'm going to retire and move to LA and do what I really want to do. And that's make films. And that wasn't in the cards. And in my world in New Brunswick, I come from a village of very, very, very few people, like under a thousand people. Right. So yeah. I dreamt big and made things happen. That's kind of who I was. And so I just never thought anything was beyond me. So I just decided after building the startups and helping be part of that, I would go to LA and do my thing. And when I got here, that's exactly what I did and found my way. Um, you know, it was, it was hard. It, it, it is hard. It's a very, um, it, it's a big industry, but yet it's small, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's challenging. And I just always stayed true to myself about what I like, what my voice is, what, you know, what I can control and can't control and, you know, and focused on the true life stories. I have some original stories, scripts and things, but um, I prefer adaptation of true life. And so I found my way and my husband and I came together and found um, Steel Titan and for Steelers and Titans. That's where that oh. name comes from. <laughs> and that's, yeah, so this is where we're at now. And now, you know, we have several projects under our belt and, you know, things in development, different stages, and, you know, things are going well. Yeah. So, how do you find, not necessarily the time, but keeping that organization and balancing, you know, juggling, trying to build up a media company and, you know, while somehow also like having a, I don't want to say a life, but like, you know, just, um, it's true. You know, the life, there's a trade-off. Yeah, what pe people need to recognize is that in life you can choose certain things. Um, but there is a trade-off. Your trade-off is either your family, your business, or whatever. So that's why in some ways things are slower because I started a family seven, eight years ago. Um, and it is challenging. But what's most important when you do anything is that you surround yourself with the best team you can. And so that's where I've had hiccups along the way. And... Mm. Uh, and, and when you build, it's finding those, those right people. And so you just do your best and, 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 
and it just comes slower when you do things right. Uh, but I feel like the waterfall's coming for us and I'm, I'm excited about it. So. Yeah, that that's awesome. And I think that's one of the biggest mental hurdles of entrepreneurship that I've definitely ran into is just like, okay, I have this creation that I want to grow and it's going to be a long, long process. But like, how do I make it grow as quickly as possible? And you know, like you said, you just got to surround yourself with the best team and people that are going to buy into it. I mean, for a media company, do you think, or just for companies in general, do you think there are a specific set of values across the board that are needed? Or was it just the best fit for you and what you wanted to make in your vision? I think that everybody falls in line to create. You're either somebody who builds businesses or you're one that's part of one. I don't think that everybody's meant to own their own business. I don't think everyone's meant, unless it's really something they're passionate about, right? Mm -hmm. But running a business and being the talent are two separate things. Fortunately, I have skills on both sides, but, um, but that also makes it hard because, you know, the time you spend building versus creating all of that, it's a different type of brain that I have to turn off. So, um, you know, nothing gets built quickly uh, that's done well or done right. You know, you can't, um, but things that you have to focus on are getting it out there and get, you can, you can, you can fix certain things as you go. Um, but knowing what those things are is, is what the hurdle is. It, life is about trial and error, period. And Everyone expects to be successful at the first thing they do or whatever, but I failed miserably my entire life until a certain age. And then I never failed again, but yeah. I had to go through all that failure and that's part of it. And when you're in school, like you are now, this is the time to fail miserably because when you get out in the world, it's harder. You're still going to fail. Sorry, life, life is not fair. And life isn't all the Mickey Mouse stories our parents pushed into our head when we were younger the way the culture, the way the systems, everything, you just have to learn those things. It takes five to 10 years to learn what's going on in Hollywood, to understand it. You know, smart as you are, it doesn't matter. It's, um, it's not the same type of business that other businesses are. It doesn't run the same way. Exactly. And, and yeah. I, I, pers I rode in high school, so I was exposed early on to like failure through sports. And th I think that's what makes sports and creating so great is that you can fail as long as you learn from your mistakes, adjust and move on. I mean, that's all you can really do in the end. Like, like you said, like failure is not the worst thing that can happen to you as long as you can figure out where you, where you messed up and, you know, figure out how you can improve. Then what, what else do you have to lose? Like I've, I've learned doing this podcast, like a simple, Twitter message or a simple Instagram message can, you know, change the tide and change your fortune. Just, you have to be willing to take that first step and just, you know, shoot your shot and see what happens. And, you know, mm -hmm. you never know who's going to see it. So it's definitely been an interesting journey. Um, thank you very much for doing this interview. I just want to wrap up with one quick segment. I like to call sure. it called off, off the dome. It's just five like quick uh, lightning round questions uh, favorite film of your career that I made yeah or that I love I mean if you made it yeah I would if you get 
my no, original framing was the question. And but I when like, you ask somebody else, you ask there. It's your favorite movie of all time. Yeah, favorite movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I have several, but there's only one that matters to me. Um, that it's the first film I ever watched in my life. It's called Somewhere in Time. Nobody knows about it. Jane. Yeah, I was gonna say. I... Christopher Reeve. <laughs> Nobody knows about it, but it's um my favorite film of all time, and it's the first film I ever watched, other than a cartoon. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sorry about that framing of that question. <laughs> no, that's okay because um, I mean it's 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 one of those questions I still get it, but yeah. um, I, no one's ever, ever asked me what my favorite film of the ones I've done. Um, I, I, you know, because I I don't want to answer that because I actually don't I don't think it's there yet. Nothing, nothing yet. Yeah, definitely. Um, so second question. Um, if you are uh, having lunch with someone, uh, whether it's a business meeting or whatever, what is the one food that they eat or that they order? And you're just like, no, no, I hate it. I hate, I don't want to associate with this person. Like for me, it's tuna. I cannot stand the smell of tuna. And yeah, if someone's ordering tuna, like if, if someone's ordering tuna, I may just have to end the meeting right there. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do it. Not so grilled tuna you, though. You're talking like tuna salad. Any type of tuna. tuna you, can't, you can't smell tuna if it's grilled. Yeah. It's like the, yeah, it's like the tuna casserole. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like the tuna salad type. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is a similar thing. It only happened to me once and it happened last year. Um, one of the um, producers of a film I was working on and developing, she ordered this fish soup type thing at a Japanese restaurant or Thai restaurant. And it was so pungent that I had to move. Um, <laughs> The, and I, but I, I, I have a overdeveloped sense of smell, actually. Oh, okay. So, but that's not, it only happened once, but um, that's right up there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, i fish for me, just the most of fish. I'm just like, now you can, you can have that, but I'm just, that's just not my, t- that's not my that's thing. That's so funny. Make sure you don't, you take them to a place that doesn't have tuna salad. If you take Noted. Some yeah, I know. I'm going to have to look <laughs> at the hilarious. menu ahead of time. <laughs> I love it. So um, I don't know if you're a big music fan, but do you have a favorite music album that you throw on and you're just like, oh yeah, today's a good day. Like you wake up in the morning and you're like, this is the album I like to listen to. No, I have songs. I'm, I'm. Songs. I don't, I, I, well, cause I, well, I'm, when you get older, you don't have time for the music anymore. Um, yeah. But, you know, there used to be, you know, like if you, if someone put on um, George Michael's Faith album, um, that would be awesome. Because okay. every one of those songs is, is great. Or, or a Madonna compilation from back in the day. It would have to be an <laughs> 80s, 80s thing. But my favorite artist, singer of all time is Celine Dion. I know okay. people I are always that. surprised yeah. by that. But there's nobody that can compete with her voice. She's amazing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I respect her, her talent. Right. Un- but you may not like her music, but her voice yeah. is off the chain. Yeah. 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 So what was, I guess, if you could pick like a handful of directors that inspired you, like to go on like a Mount Rushmore film directing, would you, could you pick four for you personally? 
No, I mean, my favorite filmmakers are David Fincher, um, Alfonso Cuaron, um, Inuritu, and um, Del Toro. And then uh, Christopher Nolan is up there as well. Those are my favorite filmmakers. So whether or not they go on Mount Rushmore, I don't agree that anyone would go on Mount Rushmore. I think that we all have our opinions and for different reasons. Those are my favorite filmmakers because of their choices and their sharpness and their, and, and in their choices and how their films look for me, it's, it's different. And it's not, it's not the storytelling. So if you, if you said, Oh, for, for look, it'd be them. And then for storytelling, you have other, you may have other people. I need to think about it from that perspective, but overall though, those are my yeah, favorite. Just, yeah. just overall, like, yeah if you had to pick like a handful okay awesome i mean i love christopher nolan i love the batman trilogy obviously i mean it's awesome movie and i uh can't wait to hopefully catch uh what was it tenant recently came out yeah yeah with john I'm, david yeah yeah i'm excited mm-hmm. to see that one hopefully it's on point um mm-hmm. finally what was your favorite like actor or interview um like someone that you worked with and you're like listen like that was just a different level of connection whether it was through interviewing them for a documentary or you were it was a fictional actual like movie if you ever you know every if you could ever pick someone like that like for um for me um i mean i have different friends that are actors and stuff so i i think I don't really have that person because how I perceive that type of thing is not the same as someone else. Right. So I'm in a different world for that. Um, but I can tell you who I would want to spend a lunch with, you know, you like go. that, but they're not an actor. It's Richard Branson or um, Warren Buffett. Those are my two, those are the only two not, things. Not left bad on- choices. Yeah, they're, they're the only two things left on my bucket list. I don't have bucket lists. So, um, yeah, it, when, when, soon, when you live in Hollywood and you spend time, you, you just see people as um, artists the same way you are, and you just, and we all put our pants on the same way. Branson does too. Warren Buffett does too. But um, I would just love to pick their brain for 30 minutes. Yeah, you know? definitely. <laughs> Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms as well as podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, Your subscription and follows mean just as much as you actually playing the episode. Uh, Thanks again for listening um, and I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day and hopefully you enjoyed this one. So 